We are uh, continuing our conversation about the Holy Spirit, and what we've done so far, for those of you who are new to the class, is we kind of surveyed all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, and we you know, talked about which ones um, would be present in the Old Testament, which ones are kind of unique to New Testament believers. So one example would be like regeneration, right? When somebody is born again, they get a new heart, new ability to believe. That would be something that uh, would have been normative in the in the Old Testament, right? Because you cannot believe under any circumstance unless you have a circumcised heart or a new heart. Um, but now we're, we're talking about uh, the ministries that are unique to the New Covenant ministry, unique to the New Testament, right? So one of the seminal events, right, when the Holy Spirit really changed things was the Pentecost, right? So what was... What was different for the disciples after Pentecost, right? That's the question that we're asking. And one thing that we brought up was there's this <coughs> baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, manifested itself through, you know, the, the flaming tongue. They're all speaking in tongues. And it was very clear that something new was happening. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later on. But as the gospel began to spread... Um, Every new people group, right? Every new barrier uh, that was breached, uh, they would have that same experience. And what that did was it showed that if you are a Samaritan or a Gentile and you believe, you're just as much a part of the church as the original disciples. Does that make sense? So every time somebody becomes a, a Christian, they are placed in the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to speak in tongues to do that. Uh, now, the second thing we're going to talk about is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've got a couple passages here, and you know we're going to start with you, Scott, kind of work our way, kind of snake our way around. Can you read um, Genesis 41, 38? Then Pharaoh said to the servants, Can we find a man like this, uh, in whom is a divine spirit? Yeah, so empowering speaks of um, you know, the spirit coming upon them. Old Testament person in order to empower that person for a certain task. Um, no, somebody just texted me. That. That's okay. I won't check it. <laughs> so, uh, so you see in the Old Testament, right, there's a, this is a reference to Joseph who was given a special power by the Holy Spirit to interpret dreams. Okay, then you have Exodus 31, 1 through 5. Second Lynette. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Okay. So in that passage, you have, uh, this is the construction of the tabernacle. So God revealed what he wanted the tabernacle to look like, and then he actually came upon two craftsmen, and they're the ones who were in charge of like some of the etching, some of the design, some of the weaving. So they're actually given supernatural power from the Holy Spirit to execute all that. And then you have Judges 3.10, uh, Joshua. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Hushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. So 
that he prevailed over Kushan Rishadim. Rishadim. Whatever, you know, that long word. So. I didn't mean to do that to you, but I'm not going to do Microaggression. Microaggression. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while I can beat people down. Um, yeah, so in that case, right, the spirit gave, uh, I think, who was this? Got to satisfy my curiosity. The judge whatever his name is, 310. Oh, that's Othniel. Othniel uh, gave him the supernatural ability to fight and win a war. And then you have uh, Judges 14, 5 through 6. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Pretty interesting passage. So, who tears apart a young goat like a bee? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Apparently, Samson could. Um, yeah. So this is Samson, where a lot of his, all of his feats of strength were really done because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of the inspiration for the power team, for those of you guys who <laughs> know, right? So here's a question. Is it po possible to be empowered by the Spirit, but not be regenerated by the Spirit? Is it possible to be empowered by the Spirit, to be given some special ability by the Spirit without having your heart be regenerated? I mean, Samson proceeded to go do more crazy things. Mm -hmm. He beat a bunch of men to death over a woman, so I mean, I'm pretty sure that wasn't him being full of the Spirit at that moment. Well, although we've established that sometimes the Holy Spirit comes <coughs> upon people to execute judgment, like in the days of the judges. So it's a possibility. I'm trying to think, can you think of a, maybe an example of like somebody who was clearly not a believer who's able to do a divine act. It's in the notes. It's in hmm. the notes, yep. Balaam, Balaam and Saul? Balaam and Saul, right? There's the ones who come to mind for me. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so it is possible for somebody to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to execute some act of judgment on behalf of God, but not be regenerated themselves, right? So when we talk about the New Testament ministry of um, the Holy Spirit, uh, what's different about it is that the spirit that empowers you doesn't leave you, right? And if it doesn't leave you, that empowerment remains with you, right? So how does the Holy Spirit, let's say, empower New Testament believers post-Pentecost? What do you think, Noah? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, okay. Yeah, that'd be one thing. <coughs> What's another power given to believers? They also seem to be pretty good when they go in front of uh, rulers. Like uh -huh. the Spirit will give words They're giving to words to say. Mm -hmm. How about somebody in this college section over here? You guys want to give it a shot? It's a right was that? 
divine gifts. Divine gifts, right? You, you hear about spiritual gifts. And so that's something that's uniquely given by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission to take, you know, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? The promise is you will receive power. Well, that power is in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about some of the spiritual gifts later on. But like one example would be, remember when they spoke in tongues, they were able to speak a language that they didn't know before to people who could understand it, right? That was a divinely given ability to, to execute those things, right? And there's more spiritual gifts, which we'll, we'll kind of survey later on. Okay, so when you look at Pentecost, um, the two ministries that are for sure distinct from let's say our Old Testament counterparts would be baptism in the Holy Spirit, right, being placed as part of the church. And then secondly would be a, a permanent empowerment to do ministry, okay, with your spiritual gifts. Okay, any questions about that? I have one. Sure. Um, so when people talk about the gift of tongues, okay. um, does that mean it's like some sort of he heavenly language or spiritual language? Because I've heard it that way. Uh -huh. But I thought it was you're actually speaking a foreign language from Earth that someone else uh -huh. understands. Is, is there any indication and is this too deep a can of worms to get into? We are going to get into it later on, okay? But I will give you a quick answer now. When it talks about the tongues of angels, or, um, or let's say a heavenly language, like the tongues of angels doesn't mean that necessarily that angels uh, have a special language that we don't have. It's more of the eloquence of the angel. Like when an angel speaks in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're often very eloquent. Uh, secondly. Uh, when it talks about a heavenly language, it could be the sources from heaven, not necessarily the language spoken in heaven. Uh, when we see it in Acts, it's consistently, you know, a language that is understood on the earth. So we'll talk more about that a little bit later on because we get into Revelation and those things. So we'll hold those thoughts. Holy Spirit's a very broad, very broad topic, very important one. If I want to survey just some of these other. Um, <coughs> ministries of the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll kind of go around. Desiree, I'm going to have you read John 6, 16, 8. Michael, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. So, Terry, kind of, you guys see the pattern? All right. So, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin, right? The Spirit convicts the world of their unrighteousness before God. So, John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of the righteousness and of judgment. Okay. This is pretty interesting because it's not just believers who are convicted of sin, right? Right. The whole world is convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. So there's kind of a general ministry for the general population. Um, this one uh, essentially helps us to understand scriptures. Go ahead, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. The spiritual yeah. man takes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? 
that we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, so this one teaches that uh, the Holy Spirit helps you to understand Scripture. Um, yeah, there's another concept related to this, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit, like the sheep hear my voice. Right, one thing that the Spirit does is it helps you to recognize the, the voice of God in Scripture. It's kind of like, you know, babies, right? Do babies understand their mother's voice? They don't understand it, but they recognize it that it's the voice of his or her mother. Right? So in the same way, you know, a Christian you know, may not understand Scripture per se, but they understand that Scripture is the voice of God. You know, that's their father. But then it kind of goes a step beyond that where the Holy Spirit can actually help you make sense of Scriptures. Do any of you guys, like, I know that was very true true of me. I remember reading the Bible for the first time as a believer. I read it before, then I read it after. I'm like, wow, this is, okay, this is a pretty cool book. And I remember just reading it my freshman year in my dorm room and going through Romans and then, you know, tormenting my poor roommate with, like, this really cool verse and then this really cool verse. And, you know, there's this one, too. I mean, Joshua, do you remember that, too? Yeah. You know, I was converted, I read the Gospel of John immediately afterwards. I read the Bible growing up, and it was like scales falling from my eyes. I could see it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was radically different. Yeah, and and again, this is kind of subjective, but it's almost like they weren't just words. They were just spoken to anyone. They were words addressed to you. So you ever had that moment where it's like, when somebody says, Dave, I felt like you're talking to me when I was preaching? I like to think that that was the Holy Spirit through the Word talking to them. Does that make sense? So it's something where the Holy Spirit is able to really help you to process and understand and internalize the Scripture. And if you're you know, of the Spirit and you want to do the Spirit's will, you welcome that. Whereas somebody who's carnal, who rejects the Spirit's will, pushes that away. Okay, any questions about that? Then another one, he helps us to pray. Um, Romans 8.26 Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay. Now one popular misunderstanding of that passage is that people have a private prayer language so they just use these groanings and somehow that's their way of like speaking in tongues to God. Um a couple of problems with that is the purpose of spiritual gifts is not to edify yourself but edify the church. But secondly, when it's talking about groanings, like sometimes you look at somebody who goes through some unspeakable tragedy and they're just not sure how to pray. Does that make sense? And what the Holy Spirit does in that case is he takes some of our, our thoughts, our words, melds them with his thoughts and takes them to the Lord, right? With uh, that's something that's even beyond words, right? So he intercedes for us, helping us to make these perfect prayers to God. So how that pays off, I'm not quite sure. But I think that's that's a comfort when people don't know how to pray as they should. People go, you know, if you're in a deep period of grief, <coughs> your brain is foggy, right? You're, you're not quite sure how to make sense of things. And I think it's something that um, is used by the Lord to help you have courage to pray and continue to intercede. Okay. Any thoughts on that one? Uh, moving on. 
gives us assurance of salvation. Uh, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay. Yeah, and this is kind of a, this is another witness of the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit where you get this sense that God is your Father. Right, and one thing, we'll talk a little bit about this later on, but um, I want to qualify this. Uh, assurance of salvation and what saves you are different, okay? What saves you, what saves you is the work of Jesus Christ, right? When you place your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, you are redeemed, reborn, regenerated. But sometimes you get into this, how do you know if that's happened or not, right? You guys ever have that? that question. I think those of you who have been Christians for a long time or perhaps you don't have like a sudden conversion experience like I did when I was in college. It's like, am I really saved or not? And and something that's very helpful for me is kind of like a, a three-legged stool of assurance. Uh, I know I'm playing dictionary right now. This is very dangerous. Okay, And you have you have different legs here, okay? Pardon the lack of perspective. Okay, you got big fat leg over here. Would you like to? It's why you record audio, not video. So we got three days here. three-legged stool of assurance, right? If you knock out one of these legs, what's going to happen? It's going to fall over, right? So this big fat leg, this is, these are the promises of Scripture. Right? If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? For God so loved the world, gave his one only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? This is the big one, this is what Christ did. This one is um, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, remember if you're regenerated, you know, as you talked about Noah, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I mean, there, there's just obvious changes and transformations in your life. And then this smaller one is the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Okay, where there is just this sense that when you're praying, you're praying to your Father, right? You have a Spirit that kind of testifies within you. So again, I mean, the Spirit gives us assurance because He is the one who let us know about these promises. He's the one who changes us so that we see this fruit, and then He gives us the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Okay, any questions about that? And again, are you saved by manifesting fruit? No. When you're saved, you do manifest fruit, but you're not saved by this, right? And that's why, like, the promises of Scripture is a big thing that I always have people point to, right? This is really the engine that matters. And these other things will happen over time. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, if you're in a period of rebellion, um, you're in a period of backsliding, right? These promises still might be real, but your assurance, you know, is being obscured because you're not living a faithful life. But once you kind of repent, repent right, you're saved the whole time, but you can experience your assurance again. Okay, tracking with me? See head knots here? You're tracking. You're not raising your hand, just tracking. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, and an important concept. Again, that's part of the Spirit's work, right? 
And then you have the endowment of the spiritual gifts. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers each member of the body of Christ with spiritual gifts for service. So the question is, is it possible to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit? Why or why not? Leo, what say you? Can you repeat the question? Okay. Is it possible to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit? No. Okay. Why or why not? Why did you say no? Because we of ourselves are sinners, and like we we are of the world, so without him we would still choose the world. Mm-hmm. So without him we wouldn't choose God. Yeah. We need third-party intervention. Okay, other thoughts on this? Malachi? Uh, I mean, this is what we've been covering in our head, but is the power of the Holy Spirit the same thing as the presence of the Holy Spirit? Maybe well, to, you, to you be know? present is to have power. Okay. okay. Yeah, and I would say too, I mean, you kind of bring up an interesting point. Um, it's possible for the Spirit to be present but not have power. Not that it doesn't have power, but that we don't have power. We are not empowered by it. Right? It, is, it is possible to resist the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It is commanded that you walk by the Spirit, and it is commanded that you're filled with the Spirit, right? So there is a sense of, of agency here. I'm not sure. Do I cover that in my... Is there a different level of fillings of the Spirit? Okay, now we're getting interesting. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. Let me make sure I'm not going to cover this later on. Okay, this is going to be, this is a worthwhile discussion. Um, so one of the, uh, so somebody go to, um, we'll go to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and then we need to go to Galatians chapter 5. So, so somebody find Galatians 5.16. Got it. And then I need somebody to find Ephesians. I think that's, I think it's 516, but let me verify that. Uh, 5, 518. Okay. So who's got uh, Galatians? Got it? Okay. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's a really interesting promise, isn't it? What's the command? Walk by the Spirit, and if you do that, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, now there's another passage in Ephesians 5, 18. Go ahead. (coughs) And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Mm-hmm. Go read twenty through twenty-one. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. So this is kind of I think both of these are related concepts. Okay. So when we talk about getting, you know, it says do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right. So there, there's a contrast there. And um, like when somebody's drunk, what is their relationship with alcohol? It would be under the, what's that? It would be under the influence. The, under the influence, right? 
And so the alcohol leads him to maybe do things that they wouldn't do when they're sober, right? To make assessments that they wouldn't make when they're sober, right? You're, you're under the influence. And so there, there's a meaningful contrast here. He's not saying get drunk with the spirit, but I think it's more being under the influence of the spirit. When you're under the influence, you're basically controlled and led to do what the spirit wants you to do. Okay, and then we have that other passage, walk by the spirit and you will not give into the desires of the flesh. Right, and then you keep on reading, <clears throat> and we read about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Now back in my, uh, my college days, we had this little pamphlet, and I think you're referring to this, about what it means to be filled with the spirit, <coughs> what it means to walk by the spirit. And, it, and it's almost like when you're spirit filled, you have like almost this higher experience. Like you're just extra spiritual, extra anointed. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And again, I think we have to we have to understand a couple of, a couple of issues. One, Acts is a descriptive book, not a prescriptive book. Does that make sense? It describes people who are baptized by the Holy Spirit, but it does not prescribe that everybody experiences it, it in the same way. And so when somebody is filled with the Spirit or they are walking by the Spirit, it's not an experiential thing, it's more of a choice that they're making, right? Where the fruit of um, being filled with the Spirit is you dress one another with, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. To kind of go on to that passage in Galatians, you have a contrast here. It says in 4.15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another, right? But I say walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So instead of biting and devouring one another, you walk <coughs> by the Spirit. Kind of go back to Ephesians chapter 4. It says in um, 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he goes on to say, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from among you with all malice. So the idea is you grieve the Holy Spirit when you bite and devour one another, right? I do think that's one of those like supernatural, spectacular things that the Holy Spirit does that is kind of can get unnoticed yeah. or undervalued. Just the role of the Spirit in the unity of the body. And I, I think that's yeah. woven through Ephesians. Yeah. I was looking at chapter 2, um, mm -hmm. uh, 2.17, where it says, And you came and preached peace, Jesus, to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one Spirit to the mm -hmm. Father. And then a yeah. couple of verses down, In him you are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. Yeah. And so this sense that it's mm -hmm. it, the Spirit's role is his spectacular, beautiful role within the church is create is creating unity. Yeah. Yeah, and so when we violate that, right, we're not walking in stuff with the Spirit, we're biting and devouring one another. Right? And so, and you kind of look in the aftermath of walking, you know, being filled with the Spirit, is singing with one another. You know, you have all these beautiful expressions of unity. And I would say unity with other believers, right? I, I'd even say unity with God, right? 
So to walk by the Spirit is basically to walk the Spirit's path. Okay, you, you, you step where the Spirit wants you to step. So what can hinder that um, would be, let's say, your own sin. So let's go to um, 1 Peter. First Peter three seven. I see. Reed, do you want to read that for me? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, I think that's a pretty interesting thing. So it says husbands need to be considerate. My translation says, live with them in an understanding way, showing them honor as a weaker vessel, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Right? So, so what, do, what do you think is meant by, I mean, how can being a jerk to your wife hinder your prayers? You're not walking in step with the Spirit like what you were just saying. Uh-huh. Means you're not really listening to how through the Spirit God would like you to live. Yeah, you're not, not walking in step with the Spirit there, right? And so He's not going to, you know, here you are asking Him for things that you're not listening to His, his working in your yeah. life, his, <coughs> his intervening in your life. Yeah, so you, why are you praying to begin with? Mm -hmm. Right, you're seeking God in His will. Well, you're rejecting His will as you're seeking His will. Mm -hmm. uh, another passage to consider. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, also, like, marriage is um, representation of Christ's like union with the church, mm -hmm. and so it's like we like you have to show love to your partner in, in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're not showing love, then you're not jo doing what Christ wanted you to do in that marriage. Yeah. Turn to um, Psalm sixty six eighteen. Let's see. Leah, can you get that one? If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Okay. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not listen. He would not hear my prayer. Why is that the case? Huh? Your heart's so, in the wrong place. Your heart's in the wrong place. Right? I had a confusion about what, 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 what word, but. Okay. If I cherished iniquity in my heart. Okay. Okay. So if you go to God, Asking for God's will. And this is actually a major Old Testament concept, like where uh, God rebukes worship offered to him as people are tolerating sin. It's like, if you really want to worship me, I, I want a broken and contrite spirit. I want you to be repentant. Does that make sense? So if you cherish iniquity, like if you, know, you have some secret sin that you're unwilling to let go of, and you pray to God, God's basically saying, talk to me when you're serious. Does that make sense? 
It'd be very similar. That's not real worship, right? So part of prayer is you communicate with God and you, you know, not my will but yours be done, right? You know, you want your will to conform to God's will, right? So it, it's something where somebody is unwilling to submit themselves to the Lord's will. They're not walking in the Spirit. Does that make sense? So how does somebody go from not walking in the spirit to walking in the spirit? Repentance. Repentance, right? Yeah, and this is something where you look at um, yeah. I lost it again. Here it is. You know what? You know, when you are an unbeliever, right? And you are kind of disconnected to God. Right, the, the agent of, of kind of reconnection, the, the means, right, we're saved by grace through faith, right? And faith is expressed in repentance, right? And this kind of brings us in a right relationship with God. Now, it's possible to have a right relationship with God, and I would say be out of fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Like you look at David man after God's own heart, when he was in sin, how would you describe his relationship with God? Right? Out of touch. He was out of touch. Now, he was still the chosen king. Do you know what I'm saying? He was still a son of the king. That was true the whole time. But he was out of fellowship with God. Does that make sense? I'm kind of importing my own words here. So, what restores our relationship with God is repentance, right? <coughs> What restores our fellowship with God is repentance, right? Faith and repentance. Faith that he's going to forgive us, repentance and turning away from our sin and turning to him. And this is something, so when, when I talk about walking by the Spirit, it's basically seeking the Spirit's will for your life. And when you're out of step with the Spirit, what do you do? You repent, right? So repentance is not like this once and for all act. I mean, that is true to establish that relationship with him, right? But to rekindle fellowship with him, right? And you even see this in marriage, right? Do you guys have to, you know, married couples, how often do you have to repent to your spouse? <laughs> right, multiple times, because that's what keeps the closeness in that relationship. It's the same with any close friendship that you have. You have to, there are times when you have to come and re, you know, rekindle that closeness through repentance and owning your sin. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't sin against you, so you don't have to. You know, he doesn't have to do that, but you do. So walking in the Spirit is just having a, a daily pattern of always confessing and repenting of your sins. And then see, and part of repentance is seeking to do the Spirit's will instead. So you look at pornography, right? You're out of step with the Spirit. So part of it is to repent by confessing it to the Lord and turning away from it by taking meaningful steps to do so. If you um, yell at somebody, it's Confessing to God and then confessing to the other person, right? And then turning away from that. And you'll be in step with the Spirit again. Yeah. And, and I, I know you mean this, but for the sake of saying it out loud, mm -hmm. like turning away from it and to, and to God. And to because God. It's, yeah. Because it's as we turn from our sin and to Christ, we become like, we become like him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and again, Ephesians, which is all about, you know, living the Spirit-filled life. Um, you kind of go through Ephesians chapter 4 
and you have this concept of putting on and putting off, right? Instead of lying, you tell the truth. Instead of stealing, you work hard. Instead of using unedifying speech, you build people up. Instead of being bitter, you forgive, right? And you know, the Spirit's will is God's will, and that's what it means to seek Christ. It's like, what do, you, what do you want me to do in this situation? And this is what I found is if, if people can really nail this down and they are consistently walking in the power of the Spirit and always being connected to the power source, I mean, they, they will live increasingly transformed lives. What's the difference in, or I guess maybe what, what's the Spirit's role in producing that godly sorrow at, that results in repentance versus mm-hmm. just having guilt over sin? Yeah, and I think guilt, when rightly done, like Judas had guilt, right? The difference between worldly guilt, worldly sorrow, and godly sorrow is what does it lead you to do? Does it lead you to go back to the Lord and seek forgiveness and reconciliation? Or do you try to atone your own way on your own terms? Does that make sense? So the proof is in the pudding, ultimately. Guilt's not a bad thing. Like, I thank God for guilt. When I sin, and I should feel guilty, right? And that sense of guilt is what drives me to do the right thing. Now, what's wrong is false guilt. Right, when you're guilty of things you're not, you have no control over. Like feeling guilty that you disappointed someone. Right, that's not a guilt that comes from God. That can often be guilt that comes from a manipulative person. Does that make sense? So false guilt is the enemy, but you want to make sure that you're guilty of some actual sin against God, not some sin against, you know, a person. And often they do overlap, but sometimes, you know, a manipulative person can use guilt to try to control other people. All right, that's why misplaced guilt is wrong. Good. Did I answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Other questions? I think walking in the Spirit isn't accidental. I think a lot of times as yeah. believers, we overfilled with the Spirit yeah. at conversion, and we're like, okay, it's just going to be a walk in the park from here. That it's intentional mm-hmm. obedience to Christ. Time in and time out. Yeah. It's continual. It's not a one time. And so I think, like, whenever somebody I've talked to is like, I just don't feel close with Christ. I just, well, they haven't been reading their word. They haven't mm-hmm. been going to church. They haven't been serving. I mean, those are never, Yeah. I've never been in contact with someone who's like, yeah, I haven't read my Bible in two months, and I went to church a couple times this week, but I feel super close to Christ. I mean, that's never, it's not, there's a reason for that. And so, like, yeah. There's a, there's a way to fix being close with the Spirit and, and close with Christ, and that's obedience to Christ, walking with the Spirit, and like yeah. taking intentional steps to do so. I, sometimes I think the Spirit's like this, I think of it as like, oh, I can't, I can't ever reach it, or I can't ever access it. But it's yeah. easy. I mean, it's obedience to Christ. Yeah, and I think sometimes people think if I have like this worship experience, yeah. and I'm not anti-worship experience, you know, if you like... You know, there's a praise and worship session and you're just feeling uniquely close to the Lord that's great but that's not the only way the spirit can encounter you right anytime you intentionally obey the spirit's will for God's glory whether you feel like it or not the spirit is active and at work in your life and so one of the things like you brought up reading your Bible on a regular basis right instead of having like this reactionary um I just repent when I sin. <laughs> that's 
part of, but the purpose of repentance is not just to correct, right? It's to pursue. And to reroute you so you continue in your pursuit of Christ. And so walking by the Spirit, this is my counsel to all you college students, is discipline yourself to seek the Spirit's direction every day of your life by reading God's Word. Right? If you really want to walk by the Spirit, what does the Spirit want me to do today? Well, I'm going to read the sword of the Spirit to figure out exactly what He wants me to do. That's where you start. Don't wait for you to sin and then seek God's will, right? It's kind of like if you're you're married. I mean, one way you can do is you can just like you know, make your wife angry and then figure out, you know, what you need to stop doing, <laughs> right? You, you can do it that way, or you can actually seek to, to please her and love her well and then repent when you fail, right? One is reactionary and the other one is pursuit. And so that's why reading the Bible every day, it, it's not something that you check off. The purpose is, what does the Spirit have for me to do? What does the Lord want me to think on today? What's one way he, he wants me to serve him or serve other people? And you focus on that every day. I should have written this into my, my study, Walking by the Spirit. But it's a super important concept. Like in Christian counseling, discipleship, I, I double down on this all the time. Yeah. Uh, I saw on a church camp once, a guy wore a t-shirt that said 1 over 168, because there's 168 hours in a week. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, the relation, our with God is a relationship. Mm-hmm. So how good is that relationship going to be if we're only spending one hour a week with him? Yeah. So it's like, if you're married, how, if you're spending one hour a week with your spouse, it's not going to be that great yeah. a relationship. Yeah. And that's something, when I became born again, um, you know, reading the Bible was like, I had this, like newborn babes, right, long for the pure milk of the word, right? We, we understand that the word is what nourishes us spiritually. It's the word that confronts lies and deceptions. You know, we are, we are not to be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transforming of our minds, and that happens by reading the word. That's why it gets um, concerning when, when Christians don't want the word. They're bored by the word. Right, and I understand that when I teach the Bible, I try to make it, you know, I try to make it interesting for you guys. Don't want to bore you guys with the Word of God, but there is. But I think for the Christian who really wants to grow and understands how important it is to internalize and focus on the Word over a period of time, they will be nourished and strengthened and be strong because they're feasting on the Word in whatever form. And it could be listening to sermons, obviously reading the Bible good conversations with your friends, listening to, to meaningful worship music. I mean, there's other ways too. Any other thoughts about this? And David, part of that is, it's not just like you you have your, your Bible time and you go on with, with the rest of your life. Yeah. It's that the truth of, of the scriptures is shaping the way you view the world at every moment. In that sense, you're keeping a step with the spirit, not just for that one hour, 15 minutes, whatever else, it's what shapes your whole life. And there are times, I think, where we can think that I go to church, I read my Bible, I have my prayer time, and then it's only, you said one hour out of 168 or whatever, when what God wants is 168 hours, not just the one hour. Yeah. And there are times that are focused so that it mm-hmm. shapes our minds to engage the rest of our, our lives. So mm-hmm. our time at work is just as holy, ultimately, yeah. and we keep a step with the Spirit just as much, maybe more so, than when I'm reading yeah. my Bible in the morning. Like one example, like this this passage, like before I was a Christian, I was super lazy. 
I mean, I could tell you the whole TV lineup of every channel. We only had four of them, so don't be too impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe five, right? They introduced Fox when I was like 10. Uh, but I can tell you the, you know, the Thursday night lineup, right? I, I can honestly still do it, right? Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, The Night Court, and then like some other hospital drama. But you know, and I, was, I, was, I was the guy who watched TV all the time. And um, like one of the things that the Lord had to do in my life was really kind of confront laziness. And I remember reading through Colossians and the idea of you know talking to slaves or servants or people you know who work so the slaves obey or obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but sincerity of heart fearing the lord whatever you do do you work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward you are serving the lord christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done without partiality and that was um, one of, like, I read that as like this arrow. For I understood that when I actually did my homework, it wasn't for me and it wasn't for the professor. Right? It was for the Lord. When I did my job, you know, painting, uh, you know, railings and stuff like that, I was a maintenance man in summer. I mean, unclogging toilets. That was for the Lord. And, uh, so that's kind of what he was talking about. It's like that was a lesson from scripture that, that colored everything I do in life where it wasn't enough for me to just work when my boss is looking, right? Is to know that the Lord is looking all the time. So to know that my my work is actually worship, right? So that that'd be an example of when you read the word, you internalize that lesson and that shapes how you see things hundred and sixty eight hours a week. That's what I didn't say. Any other thoughts? Man, we are we are close. So we'll we'll kind of tease you with spiritual gifts here. So um, let's see, Joe, you want to read? Uh, so with that in mind, right? Walking by the Spirit, living by the power of the Spirit. This next section is serving in the power of the Spirit. You know. It's not only living the Christian life, right? That's what we're called to do. Part of the Spirit's work is to build up the church to help other people live the Christian life. So we'll read these passages. So 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. Joe? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually just as He wills. Okay. So again, notice a few things. There is a distribution that's happening. And according to verse 11, the one and the same Spirit works in all these things, right? So the Holy Spirit distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Okay, so from this passage, each person is given a gift from the Holy Spirit. So if you are a believer and you're a part of this church, right, you have a supernatural ability that's been given to you 
to use for the edification of the church. Uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8. No? And since we have gifts, gifts that differ, differ according to the grace uh, given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teachings, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows, shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay. So it's not enough to have one, you must exercise it, and need to exercise it way that honors him. Okay, so I think we'll kind of cut off here before we kind of get into the individual spiritual gifts. Um, but hopefully this was a fruitful discussion, right? I think walking by the Spirit, thank you for the tangent. Andy, I wasn't planning on going there, but... Sorry. No, no, it was good. It's actually something that I may need to, like, next time around, have, like, a special section on walking by the Spirit. I think that'd be pretty practical. Well, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll let you guys go. Well, Father, I do thank you for the Holy Spirit who is so powerful and holy and, and deeply desirous of us walking in his power. I pray that we will have spirit-filled worship, that we will have everything surrendered to you and seek to live in obedience and compliance to your will, and that you'll give us the power to do so. 